0: We're in a uh, series entitled Honest Questions That Deserve Honest Answers. We're living in a very, very, I don't know, odd, unique, different, whatever adjective we want to use to describe it, where people are truly seeking like they've never sought before. And that seeking doesn't just leave itself to those outside of faith and outside of church. We're seeing questions come to us about faith and about its relevance, you know, uh, most importantly, by those within our faith, those who know Jesus as Savior, those who have grown up in the church, they're asking questions. And if we're going to be true to our faith, if we're going to be true to our Savior, if we're truly going to be who we've been called to be, we need to have those answers. We need to at least be able to address the situation, address the topic, and give people something by which to continue on their journey, their their hunt for what matters in life. And we've covered several questions already uh, throughout this series. And today we're gonna be talking about a question that I believe is probably the most talked about question or the most thought about question, but one of the least talked about questions because it is such a diverse, there are so many diverse answers, and it's such a touchy subject with people because everybody has their own belief and everybody has their own uh, system that they go by and everybody has their own worldview. And nobody really wants to rattle anybody's cage, but the question we're gonna be addressing over the next couple weeks is this, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? Or as, as uh, Rick Warren put it in The Purpose Driven Life, what on earth am I here for? What is it that you're here for? I mean, we are, many people have many different questions. Many be, different people have different answers, and we're going to be talking about some of those as we get into our message. But I think it's incredibly important for us as followers of Christ to not be threatened by that question. In fact, I don't think we should be threatened by any of these questions because we should be able to understand our faith. Not that you should be a, you know, a, a, a doctorate level, you know, understand everything you should have a working knowledge of your faith so much so that you can talk with somebody in an intelligent way about what it is you believe and why you believe it I don't I don't think so much that it's the what you believe that that strikes people. I think it's why you believe it and why you can talk about it and why you have made it your worldview your life your life's course. So today we're going to start talking about that topic, if, you turn, if you've turned to John chapter 6 or if you're on your phone or uh, whatever digital device you're using for your Bible, if you'd stand with me as we read John chapter 6, verses 25 through 35. Now Jesus had just performed the miracles recorded in John of walking on the water and then uh, feeding more than 5,000. The Bible says it was 5,000 men back in those days They only counted men. Sorry, ladies, it's not my rule. It's theirs. Um, So it's possible that there were more than 10, 15, 20,000 people that Jesus fed in the account of feeding of the 5,000. What an epic, amazing way to set up a teaching on purpose and meaning. John chapter 6, beginning of verse 25, says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, This is the work of God. Important phrase coming up. Important phrase that you believe in the one he has sent what sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you they asked what are you going to perform our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness just as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat jesus said to them truly i tell you moses didn't give you the bread from heaven but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, "Sir, give us this bread always." Jesus answered with this amazing statement, "I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again." You may be seated. I find that uh, that passage there to to be incredibly powerful. And Jesus was the master of a lot of things, but in teaching, he was the master of the, the statement that always make, made you want more, that always made you wanna listen a little bit closer. As I read his words, I, I find myself almost sitting on the edge of my seat, what, thinking, what's, what's coming next? What's he gonna say next? What, what more is he going to say? How much deeper is he going to get into this because I want to know more. He had the the incredible ability to build a hunger in your heart and in your spirit for what he had to say. Now of all the questions that are asked about faith and life and existence, I believe this one is, as I said, thought about most but talked about least because it can be so controversial and it can lead to arguments. If, If I were to ask you to raise your hands this morning, how many of you have ever had not a discussion but an argument with someone over the meaning of life and what you you stand for. Sometimes it's even within our families, right? What what it is that you stand for, what it is that you believe in, and what it is that, what's coming after this life. What is this life all about? We want to know, but we don't want to really talk about it. People are interested in this question, and I think it's incredibly important that we know what we're talking about. People are curious about what will happen when this life is over. And as followers of Jesus, we're tasked with spreading the gospel. We're tasked with spreading the good news of Jesus. We're tasked with sharing that faith with those around us. We live in, as I say many times to remind you, the least evangelized metropolitan area of the country, Springfield Holyoke. It is it is so incredibly important that we as followers of Christ, we here at New Life, our brothers and sisters at other churches, it is so vitally important, not only that we know what we believe, but that we know how to live what we believe. And not just how to live what we believe, but how to live it effectively before others. Because quite honestly, those in our neighborhoods, those in our workplace, those who go to school with our children and their parents more than likely not only don't know Jesus as their savior, but quite honestly, in our area, most of them have never heard a true presentation of the gospel. So it's incredibly important that we, as followers of Christ, take this seriously and understand our responsibility of sharing the gospel. How can you answer the question when when you don't have the answers. If you were asked by someone, a friend or a family member, someone who's seeking for answers to the important questions of life, what answers would you give? Would you give a philosophical statement? Would it be a religious statement, which is the easy way out? Or are you able to get down into the dirt down into the dirt with dirty people, people who are desperate in life, people whose lives have been wrecked and ruined. You know, it's a a common phrase in Christian speak nowadays that we're all broken, and it's so true. We're all broken in some way. We all have a ways to go. We all have ways we can get better. We all have have things we can learn. The difference for many of us, is how we approach that brokenness. And I'm going to read some quotes to you here from people who have tried to give an answer to the meaning of life. And many of those are ways that those who don't know Jesus, who are broken, whose lives have been shattered by whatever, they're trying to find meaning and purpose following a philosophy that will never work what answer would you give? Joseph Campbell said, the meaning of life is whatever you ascribe it to be. Being alive is the meaning. The Dalai Lama said, our prime purpose in this life is to help others. And if you can't help them, at least don't hurt them. Aeneas Nin said, there is not one big cosmic meaning for all. There's only the meaning we give to each other, an individual meaning, an individual plot, like an individual novel, a book for each person. Nelson Henderson says, the true meaning of life is to plant trees under whose shade you do not expect to sit. In other words, it's to prepare for the future and make the future better. That's a very popular philosophy of life right now. Very popular. As we work over at the high school, we get to talk with high school students, and they had club, uh, it's club day. Uh, They introduced the different clubs in the school. And several of those were right on, on point with this philosophy of life. Pay it forward. Do something that will better the future that you will never see. And I think that's a noble cause. Isn't that what we're supposed to do as Christians with our faith? we're supposed to pass the faith along so that we have there there is a faith to follow and a faith to believe in for our children and our grandchildren one of the things i'm proudest about, about being a chase is that we've passed our our faith has been passed down to us and we've passed it along we've lived it and we've passed it along not many people can can have all their siblings in a service on the same day in the same church I'm proud of that. I don't apologize for for that kind of thing. And then you add in our children and grandchildren, annoying people. (laughs) Present company accepted, Zach. But but what are we doing to make our future better? What are we making to make their future better? What are we leaving behind? That's a question people want to answer. That's that's something people want to know about. Whoopi Goldberg said, we're here for a reason. I believe a bit of the reason is to throw little torches out to lead people through the dark. Philip Appleman says, whatever we are, whatever we make of ourselves is all we will ever have. And that, in its profound simplicity, is the meaning of life. George Bernard Shaw says, I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the community. And as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. Pablo Casals said, I feel the capacity to care is the thing which gives life its deepest significance. And one of the, one of the great, if you, were, if you were to measure people by their humanity, if, you were measured, if, if we were to measure people by their good works and their positive effect on the lives of others and on just the goodness of them, one of the greatest human beings in modern history uh, in, in this, the past uh, 100, 150 years or so to live was Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi was a man who was seeking for purpose and meaning in life. Sadly, he said, uh, one of his very very famous quotes, he said, I I love the idea of Jesus, but it's his followers that I don't like. that's That's so incredibly important because I think there's a lot of people out there that feel the same way as Gandhi did. Jesus has some great teachings. Jesus has some great aspects, but it's his followers I can't handle. It's his followers that can't Listen, I don't think Jesus ever would have told me that he hated me, but his followers do. I don't think Jesus ever would have said that I'm evil for this, but his followers do. And it was that when you, you think that, well, my life, the, the way I live is all, my, is all up to me and it doesn't really matter. Gandhi was a man who, possibly would have chosen Christ had he met Christians who lived their faith in a more powerful, loving, compassionate way. I don't, know if that's the, I don't know if it would have swayed anything, but I know he was looking that way. And he said this, every moment of your life is infinitely creative and the universe is endlessly bountiful. Just put forth a clear enough request and everything your heart desires must come to you. That is, even though he said that a century ago or more, that is a, an overwhelming, overriding truth that is out there today, the universe. The universe will give back to you what you give to it. For me, let me, just, let me just be honest with you for a second. For me, it's one of the most frustrating things I ever hear because you say the universe, you say there's this great power out here, but you won't admit it's God because you just can't bring yourself to admit that it's God. Because if you do admit that it's God, then everything that you've said and believed and taught all those years is absolutely wrong. And so many people can't bring themselves to that point. So the answers are out there. These are the answers that are out there. These are the answers that are, be, that are being given to uh, your friends, and your family, and your co-workers. These are the answers that are being given to uh, school kids. These are the answers that are being given to college kids. These are the answers that are debated on TV, answers that address human desires and make us feel good about ourselves, make us feel good about our efforts. But the, the nagging question still comes back, is it truth? Is it truth? Are those answers true? And of course, our standard here, we're in a church. We're a church. We're a body of believers. We're people who uh, the vast majority of us claim to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. We've claimed to give our eternal soul and trust our eternal soul to the work on the cross that is recorded for us in the Bible. are we able to give answers that refute what's being given out there? Are these the kind of answers that will truthfully answer the question, what is the meaning of life? What about you? Let's make it personal. What answer would you give? What answer would you give? And that's what this soul sermon is about. What answer can we give? What answer? How can we answer people when they say, what's the meaning of life? Listen, if you walk around with your KJV and you smack people in the head and say, Jesus loves you, now you need to confess your sin and repent, you're not going to be that popular with your belief system. That's not even what Jesus did. Jesus taught. Jesus reached out. Jesus helped Jesus healed. Jesus made situations better for him having been there. And I know you're not Jesus. You can't make, you know, you can't feed 5,000 people with five biscuits and two fish. I get that. But if that's what you think, you miss the point. Jesus was saying, I came be- here because of love. The Father sent me here because of love. And the way you're going to win people to me, the way you're going to win people to me is to lift me up by the way you love them, by the way you live this faith that I've passed down to you. The way you're going to be able to give people an answer to the question, what is the meaning of life, is by actually having the answer for yourself and not just having it in your head, but having it in your heart and living it every day before those that you come in contact with. You know, we come on Sunday mornings and we sing these songs, and they're just beautiful, man. I'll tell you, I... I sorry, I've got to sit. Uh, we sing these songs, and, and our worship team does a great job getting ready, and our worship team does a great job of, of presenting it. And in this morning, man, I could hear you, New Life. I could hear you singing this morning, and I could hear the passion, and I could hear the, the depth. Because quite honestly, we're in a time in life, in history, where... Our faith matters to us, doesn't it? There are so many people right now who are scared to death. You know, we we were together last night as a family. We were chatting about things and and uh, you know the mask issue came up because that's current events, and your family talks about it too, I'm sure. And just the different different situations we've we've experienced, and I I know that. There are times when I've walked in, I've forgot, I won't out anybody. You ever forgot your mask when you walked into a store? And I've had people look at me like I killed Kennedy. Yeah. I, my siblings were old enough too, but I wasn't. <laughs> um, so there are so many different ways, so many different fears that people have today that are are addressed by different different philosophies. People are on the verge of giving up. People are on the verge of major life change. People are on the verge of many different big decisions right now. And rather rather than this being a time of fear for us as followers of Christ, this should be the time where we're motivated to action. We have the answers. We have the truth. Listen, I can't make anybody follow Jesus, and I don't ever want to force anybody to do that. One of the great burdens of my heart is for my children and my grandchildren and my nieces and my nephews, that they would make the decision for Jesus Christ in their lives. But I can't force them to do that. But I sure can live in such a way and love in such a way and show by the actions that I live by every day that Jesus matters to me, that his way matters to me, matters enough for me to change the way I live, to change some choices that I could make, and to be faithful to the calling he's put on my life. Now, I'll bring it back to this. Can you give an honest answer to someone? Not an answer that you thought up or something that you meditated on or something you read in a self-help book. And that's, you know, that's good stuff to, to help you along the way. But can you give them a biblical answer? That's our standard. That's our standard. Can you give someone a biblical answer as to the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? I wanna break this down as we go along over the next couple of weeks, start from the beginning and and get some some biblical understanding of what this is all about. First thing I want to point out is this: all life matters to God. Now, some of you may think I'm making a political statement here right now, right? Uh, and I'll, I'm not going to shy away from it. I'll say it. Uh, the abortion issue is huge in this country right now. Listen, you can you can stand wherever you want. That's entirely up to you. But I'm dead dead set in the camp that all life matters. All life matters to God. Listen, you can even make the question. You can say, well, when does life begin? Well, I'll tell you this: when uh, when Mary went to meet visit Elizabeth, and she uh, Elizabeth I. Elizabeth when Elizabeth met Mary and Mary was pregnant with the Messiah the Bible says that Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist they were cousins and John the Baptist leaped in Elizabeth's womb at just being in the presence of the Messiah now I don't really care what side of any issue politically you're on I truly don't that's your call you answer for your vote and you get what you vote for okay But on this issue, as Christians, as Christians, as followers of Christ, folks, listen up. Those of you watching on on Facebook, listen up. As a follower of Christ, the right to life abortion is not a moral issue. It's not a moral issue. It's a biblical issue. It's a biblical issue. And the Bible clearly says that all life matters to God. I'll give you some verses that'll back that up. And like I said, this isn't about the abortion issue, but boy, we can apply it to it. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule. Now, this is important. Pay attention to this, because many of you grew up in, and took biology class, and you took science class, and you were taught that man is the, the number one animal in the, king, in the animal kingdom. I'm not a science teacher. I don't have a degree in science, but I do have a degree in Bible, and I can read. And the Bible clearly says I'm not an animal. I'm a man. I was, I was made, and my, my fellow human beings were made to rule over God's creation. I wasn't made the top of the food chain. I was created in the image of God. Jesus didn't die for the llamas. He didn't die for the giraffes. He didn't die for fish. He died for humanity. It's important that we understand that. says, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. We won't go on there. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. What do we get from that? Not that, we're, not that we're in charge, not we're, not we're number one. That's not what we get. What I get from this is that God loves humanity. God loves all of his creation. But God made us special. He made humanity special. He made us in his image. He didn't do that with any other creation. He didn't even do that with the angels. He created mankind, humanity, men and women, in his image. In Micah 6, 8, it says, Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what is, the Lord, what is it that the Lord requires you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Once again, we're the only creation that that command is given to. To walk justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. Your life is matters to God. In fact, that's my next point. Not only does all life matter to God, specifically your life matters to God. You now listen, you may have, you may have been raised in a situation where you were told how worthless you are. You may have been raised in a situation where you were told how ugly you are. Nobody's ever going to love you. Nobody's ever going to care about you. I try not to go too far down this road anymore in thinking about it because of Gabriel and Michael and their situation. And I can't imagine, you know, they still, uh, I'm going to make a turn here in a minute. Our, Our two youngest sons still deal with the trauma of just two years and nine months of being beaten and abused. And they're adopted, by the way, that didn't happen in our house. Okay, those of you who don't know. And and other things that I won't mention. They still, they still struggle with the trauma and dealing with the trauma of that. Now, I can't imagine those of you who spent your entire childhood and teen years, your formative years being raised in situations like that, being exposed to situations like that. And I can understand why. People who who were raised in those kind of dysfunctional, brutal, ugly, unloving, uncaring homes would say, my life doesn't matter. Those promises are for other people. The love of God is not for me because I've been told all my life, nobody will ever love me. I'm worthless. I'm useless. I'm not smart. I don't have any value. The best I can do is just eke my way through life. Well, I'm here to tell you. You are not the sum total of what other people have told you. You are not some the sum total of your accomplishments. You are not even the sum total of your mistakes in life. You are loved by God. You are created especially by him to be somebody of importance and somebody that matters. And I just wish I wish I could sit down with every one of you that grew up that way and tell you, you're loved. You're loved more than you can ever imagine. You do matter. Your life matters. Man, I wish you could get that. Your life matters to God. And if your life matters to God, man, it should matter to you. It should matter to you. And listen, if you've been one of those people whose life has been destroyed by the words and the actions of others, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And I know that doesn't make up for it. But I just want you to know somebody cares. And I want you to know that even if you've accepted Christ as your Savior and you still carry that baggage with you, he wants to take that burden away. Man, you don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live in hurt. You don't have to live in anger. You don't have to live in such a way that you don't think your life will amount to anything because he loves you. He sent his son to die for you, and now he has a purpose for your life. Forget those. Forget those comments, and I know they ring in your ears. I know they come back and haunt you. Forget them. Put them behind you and press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But you don't know what I've done, John. You don't have no idea what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. My Jesus says... He'll restore you from anything. There's no no distance you can run away from Him that's too far. There's nothing that you can ever do that's too bad. He will restore you and He wants to use you. Your life matters to God. In Job chapter 10 verses 11 and 12... Job is speaking. He says, you clothed me with skin and flesh and wove me together with bones and tendons. You gave me life and faithful love and your care has guarded my life. God cares about you. He watches over you. He has a purpose and a plan and a path for you to follow that if you just get on board with God's plan... Listen, I'm not saying it's going to be sunshine and lollipops and rainbows and lemonade and iced tea or whatever it is that you love to drink. But I'm saying that you will know that your life has purpose, your life has meaning, and there's someone out there that needs you in their life. Someone out there that needs you to tell them that they matter. And they need to hear your story. They need to be affected by your story. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began your life matters to god and if your life matters to god it should matter to you if your life matters listen you cannot effectively minister to others until unless your life is right with god oh you can serve you can do things and you can you can fake it you can uh, you can go through the motions of christianity my friend you cannot effectively serve god to the best and greatest of your ability until you understand until you understand that your life matters to him and he has a purpose for you because your life matters to him he created you on purpose colossians 1:16 for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth the visible and the invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. <clears throat> Let me clear some things up. God didn't create you because He was bored. God did not look out through uh, through the universe and all that He had already created and say, "Well, geez, there's nothing to do today." Like a ten-year-old, you know. Geez, there's nothing to do today, Dad. Okay, I don't know, I'm looking around and I'm seeing all kinds of stuff around here. I'm seeing video games and I could, I could be like the old guys. When I was going, we didn't have these things to do when I was growing up. We had to play baseball with a rock and a stick, right? God wasn't sitting in heaven saying, geez, I'm just kind of bored. Maybe I'll make, maybe I'll create the earth and humans. That's not why God created you. He didn't create you because he was lonely. He didn't create you because he needed your worship and he didn't create you on a whim you were created purposefully you were created with a plan you were created on purpose for a purpose it's because of love that God created you and I know some some people some people feel like they don't deserve to be loved. And once again, it's the way you've been treated. And people try, and, and usually people like that try to, so desperately to prove their worth and their value. Listen, so, gotta tell you, you'll never do that. You you might prove your worth and value to other people, but if you are trying to prove your worth and value because you don't believe you deserve to be loved, you will always be empty. There will always be something missing inside. You need to realize that God loves you just because you're you. With all your failures and all your foibles and all your idiosyncrasies, He loves you because you're you. I am, I'm so blessed in my life with my wife, Erin. She she's something special, man, let me tell you. She is crazy. For our, our anniversary, was Friday. I said, well, what do you wanna do for Friday? I thought she'd say, well, I wanna to go to Highbrow for dinner, you know? She said, let's go to the football game, the high school football game, not like a Rams game something that matters. I, no, I won't I'll leave it alone, Melvin. She wanted to go to the high school football game. You know why? Because Aaron is building relationships with these kids at the high school. And it's becoming addictive for her. She's now substituting and they're calling her all the time. So they called her, on, called her yesterday to sub on Monday. She subbed Thursday and Friday and Monday of last week, she's becoming addicted to it and she's really falling in love with ministering to these kids and she's building relationships with them. And I I love her for so many reasons, but I love the fact that she wants to spend our anniversary ministering to kids. And we got in the middle of a, a, a baby powder fight. It was crazy. They were throwing baby powder in the stands. They could be doing a whole lot worse. So You were created and God loves you. He created you because it pleased him to create you. Jeremiah 31:3 The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued To extend faithful love to you. Not only does God love us with a love that will never end, He continues to extend His faithful love to us. Can that break through to you? Can that break through that hard shell of self criticism, of self loathing, and self doubt? Can can the love of God, can the fact that God Himself says to you, I've loved, not only have I loved you forever, not only will I love you forever, I'm showing you that I love you right now. Every moment of every day, I'm extending my love to you. He created you because he loved the idea of you. Love was his motivation. 1 John 3, 1, says, see what great love the father has given us that we should be called God's children and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. And that last part of that verse really starts to open up what our purpose here is, right? He loves us and we should love him in return. And the reason they don't love him is because they don't know him. A bell should start going off in her head. A light bulb should start flashing. Well, Well, if he has taken me from darkness to light, if he has shown me that I am loved more than I could ever have imagined, even though I was told all these horrible things about me in life, even though I think these terrible things about myself, he has shown me that I am loved more than I could ever dream. Well, shouldn't I want other people who have experienced the same thing as me, or people who have gone through worse than me, or people who have never gone through what I've gone through, but still don't feel loved because they don't measure up. They don't look like the magazine cover. They don't look like this. They don't, they, they don't have this degree. They don't have this much money. They don't have all of this. So because they don't have what others have, they don't think they're, as the same, they're, they're of the same value. Well, because I know that God loves me, and he has filled my heart and my life with his love, and now I have purpose, shouldn't I want to share that with others? Shouldn't, I, shouldn't that motivate me? Shouldn't that compel me to tell others about the one who has done so much for me? Man, God, God created you to display his creativity, and he created you for his glory just been the last several years that I've really started trying to dig in and understand the creative nature of God. I mean, that sounds crazy because he's the creator God, right? The Bible says that Jesus uh, is the part of the Godhead who is responsible for creation. And I look around and we, we you know, we're fortunate. We live in New England uh, in the fall, not so much in the winter, but in the fall, we live in New England. And we have a display, we have a show every day, every day of from, from about, it, it's starting about now. You know, starting about now, the leaves are starting to change. And from now until the end of October, it's going to be like a light show around here. Other places in the country, the leaves change. But here in New England, it's like somebody flips a switch, and they're just electric. <laughs> When I start thinking about the creative nature of God and I put together some things that he's written in his word, he says, our eyes have not seen, our ears have not heard, nothing even has entered the imagination of humanity to understand the things that God is preparing for us in heaven. And I look around and I see the beauty of God's creation and just the understanding of what he has done for us and what we have to take advantage of. The beauty of, of where we are and, and what this world is all about, of his creation. And he's saving the best <laughs> for eternity. I so cool. And because of his creative nature, God created you. You think about the complexity of the human anatomy. Think about the, the complex nature of your hand and the bones and the joints and the, all the different things that work together to just help you pick up a cup of coffee in the morning. It's incredible. He created you to display his creativity and to display his glory. I mean, he created us in his image. We bear the marks of the creator. <laughs> We don't worship God because He needs our worship. We worship Him because of all He's done for us. Psalm 100 verses 1 through 3, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord, serve the Lord with gladness, come before Him with joyful songs, acknowledge that the Lord is good. He made us and we are His, His people, the sheep of His pasture. Acknowledge that the Lord is good. You ever had one of those days that is so bad that you just can't see the good in it? For those of you who are Starbucks fans, first of all, repent. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, okay, when they just can't get your Starbucks coffee right, or when they just can't make Dunkin' Donuts coffee right, or when you can't find Brazilian coffee in New England. Those days where everything, nothing will, will, will go Right. Man, those are the days I was taught growing up in churches and taught by teachers. Those are the days where it's, more, it's most important to acknowledge God and His goodness because He's working all things for your good. The more if we glorify God in our lives, the more His power and love are seen by others and the more people are drawn to Him. And because he created you with love. He has told you how to find your purpose. Because he has created you with love, he has told you how to find your purpose. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 say this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Your first step is to ask. Romans 1.20 says, for his, in, in, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made as a result, people are without excuse. Want to know something from God? Ask. Ask. Your second step is to seek. Seek Jesus and find eternal life. You'll never find your true purpose for living if you don't find eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's just a straight up, honest, biblical answer. Before you ever find, before, if you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, maybe you've never heard that phrase before. Maybe you're watching us online and you've never, ever heard about Jesus Christ. You've never heard the gospel plan. You've always been taught <laughs> it's all about how good you can be. You've always been taught it's, it's all about being baptized or it's being faithful to church. Or it's, it's doing this or that. Or it's all about what you do. And that's what will happen when you get to heaven and the, your good deeds will be outweighed by, uh, your good deeds have to outweigh your bad deeds and, and that determines your entrance into heaven. Listen, if that's, your, if that's your foundation, if that's your touchstone, if that's your starting point for your search for meaning in life, you're starting from the wrong place and you'll never find your true purpose in life. It starts with finding eternal life in Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible clearly tells us that we are all sinners. I'm not saying you're a terrible person. Erin substituted for um, forensic science this this week, and she was so excited about that. Me, not so much. She loves forensic science, and she was so excited. I wasn't sure I wanted to go home and be there when she got there because she was excited they were talking about serial killers. Thought... Maybe I should give her a day, okay? But it doesn't matter what you've done. I'm not saying you're a terrible person. God's not saying you're a terrible person. All it's saying is that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard. And because of that, there's a judgment on sin, and that judgment is death, physical and spiritual. Remember, we were talking about how much God loves us. He didn't leave us in that condition. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. The righteous dying for the unrighteous. The lovely dying for the unlovely. The worthy dying for the unworthy. And now... The Father offers you that gift of eternal life that was made possible by His Son. In fact, the Bible tells us in Revelation 3.20, Jesus Himself says, Behold, I'm standing at the door and knocking. Remember? Ask, seek, knock. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. Whoever will open the door to me, I will come in and dine with him. And I'll build a life for him or her. John 3.16 says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Your search must start here. Your search must start with Jesus. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're roaming around trying to find purpose outside of him, you've got to bring your mind and your heart and your life back here. Back to home. Back to the starting place. You've got to bring yourself back to Jesus. And start all over again. <sighs> That's a lot of of time I've wasted. So what? So what? You you, You haven't wasted time. You've just learned a lot of ways not to be successful. So now, build on those unsuccessful times and learn how to be successful in Jesus Christ. And knock, and the door will be opened, and Jesus is the door. Jesus is the door to all your hopes and dreams. Jesus is the door to eternity. Jesus is the door for purpose and meaning in life. But it starts with him. When we pick this up next week, we'll be looking at the seven I.M.s in the book of John that Jesus says he is for us. And that's great, man. That's great to build life. There's so many great possibilities and so many great uh, ways we can look at that and so many applications we can make. But man, none of that matters if you don't start with Jesus. And if Jesus is already your savior, you don't understand that he loves you more than you could ever imagine. I I, I tell my sons, and, and they understand, they're starting, they understand the depth of my love. I tell Aaron this too. They understand the depth of my love when I say this Guys, I love you more than the Dodgers. <laughs> I said that to the boys the first time, and they looked at me, no lie, man. They looked at me and said, Wow. <laughs> like, cool. It hit home. God loves you more than anything. He loves you more than anything. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you did. (laughs) Backstreet Boys, right? Is that Backstreet? He loves you. He loves you. I love that Crowder song, He Loves Us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us so. He loves you. He loves you. Has his love made a difference in your life? Has his love captured you for eternity? And if it has, has his love set you on a path of service and devotion and purpose for your life? Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being in your house this morning. Lord, thank you for those who were able to come out and join us today. And thank you for those who joined us online Father, we thank you for the privilege of worshiping you and the honor of lifting up your name in praise. Father, we also want to thank you so much for your love. For how you love us. For why you love us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody's looking around. I wonder this morning, listen, I'm not going to come to you, I'm not going to, point you out. I'm not going to say anything to you. I'm not even going to try to get you to come down front. I just wonder this morning, first of all, maybe what we talked about about the love of Jesus and accepting him as Savior, maybe you've never heard that or maybe you've heard it before and you've just never taken that step. And listen, Like I said, I'm not going to come to you and point you out, but I'd love to pray for you. And I wonder this morning if you would raise your hand and say, Pastor John, would you please pray for me? Because I don't know Jesus as my Savior. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Appreciate those hands. And now, for those of us who know Christ, you know, we are not immune from struggle. We're not immune from being personally, uh, for for personally loathing ourselves and our our lives and all the things that we've done and are having to us. And I wonder if you would just raise your hand And once again, I'm not going to point you out or come to you. I just want to pray for you. You say, Pastor John, would you please just pray for me? Because I need to know my worth. I need to understand the love of God. Thank you so much. I need to understand that God loves me and that he has a purpose for me. And I want to pursue that. Thank you so much for your honesty. Father, I thank you for those who uh, raised their hands. And for those who, who weren't quite ready, Father, I pray that your love will overwhelm our inadequacies. Your love will overcome our fears. Your love will overcome all that we've felt about ourselves and all that we've been told. And Lord, I pray that your love will overwhelm our ambition and overwhelm our egos and bring us to a place of full surrender for you. And as we sang this morning, Lord, would you begin the change in us from the inside out? Lord, would you bring us back to center? Would you bring us back to where we need to be? so that we can either start, continue, or get back on the journey that you've called us to travel. Father, thank you again for the privilege of being here today. Lord, in in a world of such chaos, to be able to come and focus on what matters is so important and it's such a blessing. As we go from this place, Lord, may we take your word and your light and your life to a world that is dark and in need. Would you keep our purpose before us? In your holy precious name we pray and ask all these things, amen.